in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. We'll actually, we've spent the last couple of weeks in introduction. We're actually going to get into the verses this morning, but Philippians chapter 1, I think we're going to work through about the first nine verses this morning. So if you'll turn there with me, turn there in your Bibles. I love to hear the pages flip. If you, if you have any wonder of what I prefer, I prefer a Bible in your hand. That's what I prefer. Bring your Bible, flip through the pages. If you don't have a Bible, flip to your Bible app. If you don't have either of those, then scoot over real close to somebody that does, okay? And uh, they'll say, you bring your own Bible, okay? And that'll fix that next time. All right, well, let's, let's, um, I want to introduce it with this passage. I've read this, I think, both weeks, but it really captures the idea of this, this series of joy. When we're talking about the book of Philippians, it's a book that's about joy. But we've learned in the introduction that the book isn't about joy. The book is about Jesus, And joy is the byproduct. Joy is the result, the overflow of what comes when we have a a single, chapter 1 we learned, the single-minded focus. When we're single-minded, we we have this focus on Jesus. And when He is our single-minded focus, then then there's joy. And so 1 Peter, Peter says this in chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. He says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, this next verse, this is speaking of Jesus Christ, the revelation of Jesus Christ. And Peter says, Whom having not seen, you love. Amen? We can love someone we haven't seen because we, 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 He has revealed Himself to us and we've come into this relationship with Him. We've seen what He did for us. We know what He did for us. And now we, as believers, we've experienced what He's did, done in us. And there's this love. Having not seen, you love Him. Though now you do not see Him, yet believing... You haven't seen Him, yet believing. You've placed your faith in Him, yet believing you rejoice... But look how you rejoice, with joy unspeakable. I want that kind of joy. I want a joy that is, it's just, I can't even put in words. It's it's like the peace that passes all understanding. It would be the joy that passes all understanding. It's the joy that passes all description. I can't even, Raymond, I'm trying. I can't even explain it to, I can't. It's like trying to describe to someone who's never seen it, even in a picture, the Grand Canyon. You know, it's that. You get tongue-tied. It's this joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And that's what we're looking at, this joy unspeakable. So as I was preparing, as I've been reading, and I come into these verses, and we come to this part of of the letter, and, and there was a particular movie that kept coming to mind. You ever have things that just remind you of, Something from the past. It reminds you of a scene or a movie or a song. There's these things. So this movie kept coming to mind. And you're, you're going to all, you're, you're going to understand. You'll know this here in a second. But so I've been thinking on this, this movie and these scenes and different things from it and kind of relating it to this. And then Friday evening, we, we flipped on the TV for a little bit. And, and believe it or not, there was that movie. I mean, it was right on the screen. There, there it is. I popped it on and I started watching a little bit. I mean, it's just crazy. I said, Lord, that's, that's you, because that's been on my mind. I've been thinking about this. So it's the story of four little hobbits with large, hairy feet. There's Frodo and Sam and Mary and Pippin. There's two human 
men. There's Boromir and Aragorn, uh, Aragorn who, who Aragorn happens to be the, the, the son of the king. And then there's a wizard named Gandalf. There's an elf named Legolas and a dwarf, who is personally my favorite, the dwarf named Gimli. And uh, they had little in common. If you've seen the movies, you, you, know, you know they had little, very, very little in common. You would not have these people, these hobbits and wizards and all that. You wouldn't have these together. They wouldn't be together. In fact, elves and dwarves hated each other. So what brought these nine together? It was one common purpose and mission, to save Middle-earth from the impending evil and darkness. And they united to protect the little hobbit who was uh, tasked with carrying the one ring to its destruction in the fires of Mount Doom in Mordor. Now, unless you've been living under a rock for the last 20 years, you know that what I'm talking about is the, the Lord of the Rings. Anybody been living under a rock for the last 20 years? You're kidding me. You never watch movies, do you? I, I, I've talked to Ben enough to know now. He, he, there's a couple of movies we've talked about. You're a good man. That's a good man. I commend that. But Tolkien, Tolkien wrote, Tolkien wrote this, this series, The Lord of the Rings. It was three big books. I haven't been brave enough to try to read the books, but uh, it's hard enough to get through the movies. They're, they're long, and it's a long story. But this Lord of the Rings series, and uh, specifically, it's the, the first one is called The Fellowship of the Ring. And they come together around this ring in a common mission. Um, so it brings to mind this question when we talk about fellowship. We, 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 what comes to mind for you? Just think about that. What comes to mind for you? When I say the word fellowship, is it meeting for coffee, sharing a meal, playing a round of golf? Maybe it's the time before or after the church service. It could be playing some games of some type, uh, camping. Maybe, maybe just talking, getting together with somebody and talking. We, we, we would call them, and today in our culture today, that's often what comes to mind when we talk about fellowship. It's these kind of shared experiences. All of these can be fellowship, but not the kind of fellowship that Paul shares with his dear friends at the church in Philippi. And we're going to understand, I hope this morning you're going to understand the difference between maybe the way we view fellowship today and really what the Scriptures are talking about and what Paul is talking about when he talks about fellowship. Now, they were, they were closer than friends. There was a bond with them, a special bond. They were Really, they were a band of brothers and sisters in Christ. And when you think about another movie that Ben has not seen, the, the a band of brothers. And when he said that, we were a group of guys together, and he, they all went, oh. You've got to watch it through a filter, okay? There's some things in there you've got to watch. But um, they were a band of brothers. They banded around this theme, this need, this something that was bigger than them. Think about this. As we look at this introduction, Paul was only in Philippi that we know of three times. We looked at this in the introduction. The first time he goes into Philippi, he's there maybe three months. He wins some people to Christ. It's the beginnings of the church there in Philippi. He's there maybe three months and all that happened to him and he's run out of Philippi. He's there maybe three months. Then he goes back about five years later. He goes through within a year's time. He's in and, in and out of there a couple of times. P- probably not there for, for very long at all. Certainly not three months, maybe, maybe only days or, or weeks at best. But uh, he wasn't there. He wasn't hanging around, 
having a whole lot of fellowship, as we would define it today, with those people there at Philippi. He didn't have a lot of time for that. And yet they have a very, uh, it's an incredibly deep relationship and fellowship. What they experience with him, what they feel for him, what he feels for them, it's deep. It's deeper than a friendship. It's deep. It's, a, it's this fellowship. Perhaps that was because they had, like the fellowship of the ring, they had a shared faith. They had a shared and a common mission. There was a purpose bigger than themselves. They, they sacrificed together, and they, and they suffered together, and they sacrificed for one another, and they sacrificed for the mission. They were on a journey together, battling evil and darkness, and they were part of the fellowship, as Paul is going to see, as you'll see in a moment, as Paul describes it, the fellowship of the gospel. And that's the title of our message this morning, the fellowship of the gospel. Father God, I pray that right now you'll just take this time. You'll use this time right now for your honor and your glory alone. Lord, I ask you to direct my thoughts. Lord, there is so much racing through my mind right now and through my heart. God, I pray you just give me a calmness and a clarity to communicate, Lord, what you desire to be communicated. Not what I want to say, but God, what you want said. Lord, use this today. To, to create a fellowship of the gospel. Either to create it, or to grow it, or to enhance it, or to strengthen it. Whatever the need is in this place right here. God, I pray that would be the result of our, of our time together this morning. Lord, bless in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to read the first eight verses. Read the verse eight verses, and we'll make some observation about this. And as I read these eight verses, I want you to note something. I want you to notice how many times in eight verses that Paul uses the Lord Jesus' name. Whether it's Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, or whatever. He uses Jesus' name how many times? How many times he references God? And I want you to think about how many times he references the gospel in eight verses to begin this letter. It says, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ... To all the saints in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus, who are in Philippi, with the bishops and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making request of, uh, for you all with joy. Verse 5, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Now, as it is right for me to think this uh, of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you, are, you all are partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness." How much I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. Eight verses. Eight verses. Paul starts out, he uses the name of Jesus in one form or another five times in eight verses. He references God the Father four times in those eight verses. And he references the gospel three times. You have an idea, as we talked about in the intro a couple of weeks ago, that, that this, is a, this chapter is all about single-minded. It is all about Jesus. Paul is God first. It is Christ first, and we see that right here. Now, as he begins this letter, the first point I want us to look at is this. is Paul's humble greeting. Let's look at his humble greeting. 
First one, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and, and deacons. Now, Paul and Timothy, that's how he says this. There's other letters where he doesn't include anyone else. It's Paul, and Paul would often say, he would say, the the apostle, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. There's a difference in this letter. He He doesn't state his apostolic being. They understood that. They understood that very well in that church. But also, Paul is not having to state his case. Listen, I'm an apostle, and I'm fixing to correct some stuff. He's not exerting his authority or his position. He's not having to do that. He's very humble. Paul was that. He was an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. He could have stated that and still been humble. But he was very humble in the way he stated it. And he also states it. It's Paul and Timothy. Timothy is his young apprentice, his, his son in the Lord that he's bringing up. And he, and he writes this letter to them. They knew Timothy. They loved Timothy. So it's Paul and Timothy. And from the first Three words right there, we sense his love and his tenderness and his affection for these people. Paul and Timothy. So the word he uses then, he goes, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ. Now, bondservants, that word that he uses here is the word doulos. Now, it can be translated as bondservant, but it literally means slave. You know, bondservant, we think of a bondservant. Okay, well, you know, maybe, maybe you're in, like, we would think maybe like indentured servant. You've got a time that you're, you're, you're committed to service to this person or whatever. That's not what this word means. This word doulos means slave. So Paul says, Paul and Timothy, slaves of Jesus Christ. And that word had as negative a connotation then as it has today. And what Paul was saying is, look, I belong to the Lord. He is my master. He is my Lord. And, and, and Timothy and I, as we write to you, we are slaves in the Lord Jesus Christ. One pastor gives five ways this type of servanthood as a slave plays out. He says it's exclusive ownership. There's no, there's no dividing in that. It's exclusive ownership. Complete submission. Singular devotion. Total dependence. And personally accountable. Boy, those are five strong words when you talk about being a slave to someone. In, in, in that culture in that day, there, was, there were multiple ways that you could become a slave. You could be part of a conquered people. If you were part of a conquered people, you could become a slave. Or you could be born into slavery. You just, you just, it was, that was your lot in life. You were born into slavery. Or you could become a slave because of debt. You had debt that you couldn't pay, and you could be sold into slavery as payment of that debt. James Montgomery Boyce makes the point that we have been conquered by sin. He says, we as people, we have been conquered by sin. We were born into sin, and we, we owed a debt of sin we couldn't pay. You know what he's saying? We, we are all, in all efforts there, in all ways there, we're slaves. We're slaves to sin. Before salvation, we were slaves to sin. We, were, we served Satan. You know, I didn't serve Satan. No, you served Satan. You served Satan or you serve the, the, the Lord Jesus Christ. There, there are no other options. And you can deny it any way you want to, but the fact is you serve Satan or you serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And so before salvation, we're slaves to sin. We're slaves to Satan. But with salvation, we become slaves to Jesus, our Savior. Now make no mistake, to be a true born-again follower of Jesus Christ is to be a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And, and for us, oftentimes, we view ourselves, I think we like that word bondservant because it has a little softer connotation. You know, I'm a bondservant. I, 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 I can kind of do what I want to do, and I still have Jesus to take care of me. You know, he's my genie in the bottle when, I have, when things don't go the way I want or when I need something, I can go to him and pray and I can talk to him. And I know he's protecting me, but I can live my life the way I want to. Basically, that's an attitude of, you know, uh, of just adding a little Jesus to make, you know, to make life a little better. It's not how it works, folks. We, we either serve Satan or with salvation, we serve Christ. And he, and he is our Lord. He is Lord. He directs our lives in all ways. Now, Paul goes on, he says this, to all the saints in Christ Jesus with the bishops and, and, and deacons. He's writing to everyone there at Philippi. He's not just writing to the, the elders and the pastor, the pastor elders and the, and the deacons. He's not just writing to leadership there that he's going to correct something and, and help them to understand to correct the church. He is writing to all the saints, everyone there. So the letter is addressed to all the Christians that are in Philippi, and he calls them saints in Christ Jesus. Now, that word saint is confusing for many today. Many, even in the church, don't understand that word saint. Basically, a saint is not some super Christian like people would, would name, uh, and I don't think she was, but people would name Mother Teresa. Oh, she was, a, she was just incredible, super saint. She's this and that. And then St. Augustine or some other saint that you are, St. Christopher or whatever name you might have heard. And we think of their, their special, they've been, a, they've been set apart or whatever. That, that's not biblically, listen, biblically a saint is not some special super Christian. Um, saints in the Bible were this. They are simply the ones who believe and have put their full faith and trust in Jesus, uh, his sacrifice on the cross. That's what it means to be a saint. So in this room, if you are a born-again believer, follower, you trusting by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you've been saved, you are a saint. Now, you may not be acting like it. <laughs> and others may not would identify that. They might be there ain't no Saint Conrad. No, 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 no. But... As believers, biblically, if we're born again, we are a saint. Now, I want you to understand something before I move on here. I'm going to make my, my obligatory uh, dad joke here. So he says to all the saints. Now, if you'll read through, and I did a search on this, I think there's, I think there's seven or eight times in these four chapters that Paul says to you all. Again, it, it's talking, it gives you an idea of who he's talking to. He's not just talking to leadership. He's talking to everybody in that church. He loves these people. And he says, you all. Now, I can tell you this. Paul, I can tell you by the way he writes, you know, a dialect, I can tell you where he's from. He's from the southern part of Jerusalem. He's from the southern part of Jerusalem because about eight times he says, y'all. In the Greek, it's translated you all. It's, it's, it's y'all, but they, they translate it and put you all. But we know it's, it's y'all. That's what it is. So Paul is, is absolutely a southerner uh, in, in his heart. Now, when we talk about salvation. Now, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 says this, and you he made alive. Now, he's talking past tense. He's talking to believers in, in that letter in, in, in Ephesians there in chapter 2. And so he says, you he made alive. Look, in the past, you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. So he's telling them, this is what you were. You were dead in trespasses and sins. So if we don't know the Lord, we know that's what we are before salvation. If you don't know the Lord, that's what you are now. You are dead. You are spiritually dead in trespasses and sins. Now, if you jump to verse 4, and I love these two words in Scripture, because every time you find them, something good's coming. All right? But God. You are dead in trespasses and sins. Verse 4, but God, who is rich in mercy. 
because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses. It says it right here. You were dead in trespasses? Look, but God who loved you, even when you were dead in trespasses, He loved you, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. In verse 8 and 9, he, he rehearses with them how they got saved. And for by grace you have been saved through faith. How are we saved? We're saved by God's grace. It ain't anything that we do. There's nothing that we do. It is all of God's grace. All the work that needed to be done, Christ did it. It was D-O-N-E, period. Okay? There's no work that you do. There's nothing that you can do. But it comes through faith. You must believe. You put your faith in Christ and God saves us. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. There is no works. There's nothing that we do to save ourselves. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this. He said, Paul has no gospel apart from Jesus Christ. The gospel is not some vague general offer, nor is it a mere exhortation to people to live a good life. It tells of the things that happened in Christ because without Christ, there is no salvation. And if Christ is not essential to your position, then according to Paul, you are not a Christian. You may be good and you may even be religious, but you cannot be a Christian if Christ is not absolutely the core and center, it is not Christianity, whatever else it might be. Right. People talk about, I have faith. Well, I have faith, right? Uh, you know, listen, it, it, faith's only as good as what you place the faith in. And if you have a perverted view of Jesus, then you don't have true saving faith. It has to be in the biblical Jesus that that's where our faith is placed. And you go, well, you're just splitting hairs. No, I'm not splitting hairs at all. Uh, it's no different than putting a box, a, a little statue up here and going, well, I, I trust in that. Because if you create a Jesus that is not the biblical Jesus, you know, as, a, as a famous person I once heard said this, said, well, I believe in Jesus, but I believe in Jesus the way I want Jesus to be. Well, you just created an idol on your shelf... And you're placing your faith in that idol, and that idol won't save you because that idol is not Jesus. We have to serve and we follow the biblical Jesus as God has revealed him to us. Amen? Amen. All right. Verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Paul began a lot of his letters. If you look through his letters, he starts with, with grace and peace and grace and peace and grace and peace. Grace is the normal way a Gentile would begin a letter. And peace, either Irene or Shalom, is the way a Jew would begin a letter. So Paul's kind of greeting both there, grace and peace. Grace, now listen, grace is God's unmerited favor to sinners who deserve hell. There's nothing we can do to earn it, and we certainly don't deserve it. Amen? Amen. We, we can't earn it. We don't deserve it. And, and, and you can't have, here's the thing, you can't have real peace without God's grace. Paul, Paul says grace and peace. God's saving grace brings peace with God. Amen? So his saving grace brings peace, brings us into peace with God, which then brings the peace of God. Peace rules in our heart and the results in peace with others. When we truly have the peace with have peace with God and we have the peace of God, well, we can have peace with others. And, and that's a great place to be. Jesus said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. John 14, 27. So Paul's made the two two verse introduction here, and uh, then the question comes up: Why why is he writing the Philippians? 
Well, here's why he was writing, and we may have touched on this, but he's writing to say thank you for sending financial and physical uh, help to him. They had sent Epaphroditus, and, and he was a member of the church at Philippi, and he'd come. We'll talk more about him in, 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 in later in the message, but we'll also talk more about him in the days to come. But Epaphroditus had come from the church. He brought money. He brought himself to come and help Paul, and, 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 and so Paul is writing them a letter of thanks in that. So the second point we're going to look at here is Paul's joyously thankful prayer because he talks about his prayers, and we're going to see his joy, he's, he's joyously thankful. Verse 3 and 4, he says, I thank my, my God upon every remembrance of you. What does he do when he remembers them? He thanks God. You have anybody like that? They come to mind, you just thank God. Man, thank, thank you, Lord, for that person in my life. Thank you, Lord. Every time they came to mind, the Philippians, when he thought about Lydia, man, he thought about the river. You know, he'd just be reflecting sometimes, maybe over a meal, and he'd think about down there by the river with Lydia. Hey, Mo, she came to faith. Thank you, Lord, for Lydia. And he thinks about the Philippian jailer. Maybe he even knew the kids. He knew the kids by name. Thank you for little Timothy. Lord, thank you for little Timothy. Trust him. He, he, when he thought of them, it, with every remembrance, he thanked God. Verse 4, always, always, not some of the time, always in every prayer. Listen, always in every prayer of mine, making request for you. Every time he prayed. So whenever he thought of them, he thanked God for them. Whenever he prayed, he prayed for them. And he did it all with joy. You ever had people you pray for and you pray for folks with joy? You ever had people you pray for and it's not so joyous? Lord, change them or change me. Change something, Lord. Yeah. We have that. That wasn't Paul's situation here. Paul says, always in every prayer of mine, I make requests for you with all, all with joy. So Paul was joyously thankful for his relationship with them. Now, some of the memories that he had in Philippi weren't so great. He and Silas were wrongly accused. They were publicly stripped and humiliated and beaten with rods in the public square. They were thrown into jail and locked up in, the, in that jail, shackled in the inner prison. I mean, that's where they were put. Not great, great memories when you look at the things that happened to him there. But Paul doesn't dwell on that. When he remembered them... Listen, when he remembered them, he thinks of Lydia and her family. He thinks of the possessed girl. And listen, I like to think that she came to faith in Christ. We don't read that, but I, I like to think of that girl in the, in the church there in Philippi. And, and that we'll see her one day and be able to talk with her about that situation. He thinks about the Philippian jailer and his family that came to faith. The many other converts that he doesn't even list here or name here. And he thinks about the church there that was, that was born. It really started there by that river with, with Lydia and, and then her household and then the, the others that came along. But the church, he thinks about it. Man, he's just, he is thankful for the relationship he has with them. And they've sent this money to help him. They've sent this person, Epaphroditus, to help him. And his heart just overflows again with love for them. And he's writing this letter and he's remembering that he's just so thankful for the relationship he has with them. When he remembered them, a smile crossed his face. And a prayer of thanksgiving crossed his lips. Now, I've shared with y'all many times uh, about the trips. Oh, man. I've shared with you about the trips I've taken to Tajikistan. And just somebody tell me, if you, when, you, when, when you've heard me talk about that, what do, you, do you hear joy in that or you hear like, oh, that was the worst thing in my life? You hear joy? 
I would hope that because I've never to this point talked about that with a design of going, I want them to hear this or hear that. But let me tell you about my trip. When I think about Tajikistan, four trips I made over to that country. Four trips. The first trip was the most significant. We saw salvations on that trip. And uh, we followed up with them and, and, and really helped those folks get going along in their walk. But on that, that first trip there, for two weeks we were there, I was sick as a dog on that trip. I was cold all week. It was cold. It was rainy most of the week. Uh, I think I was underdressed. I wasn't prepared for the cold we had. Uh, there was limited running water and power in the village. Only like five hours of power a day and about uh, maybe the same, maybe three hours of running water a day. There was no indoor facilities. We slept on a, I slept on a dirt floor just packed like mud, like they'd packed mud in a floor of the school. It was just the school room. And we slept on the dirt floor. Uh, in the room that we slept in, there were windows, but the windows didn't have glass in them. And it, was in, it got cold, cold at night. But, you know, the whole time we were there, I was thinking about it. Everybody that lives here lives here every day. They live like this. It's the same way they lived, exactly like that. We ate very little that week. And there was just nothing to eat. We tried to prepare for ourselves so we didn't end up getting sick. It didn't help. I still got sick. But, you know, when I think of, when I think of Tajikistan, I don't dwell on those things. Those things I remember, but I remember them almost fondly. Because here's what I think about. I think about Jalil, and I think about Hatoy. And Jalil and Hatoy, and now their son, who was just maybe 10 years old, 8 years old when I was there years ago. Now I've had reports, and we've heard that in our mission conference a year and a half ago, of how their son has come to faith in Christ and his family. The walls are falling the dominoes are starting to fall now. And so when I think of Jalil and Hatoy, and I look back on those pictures, man, it just makes my face smile. I just, I can't help. When I, when I remember Hatoy, at the, at the, when we first met and it was at a wedding and we were talking, she spoke very little English, but I got to talk with her. And then we had a missionary that spoke the language that spent the night with them and led her to the Lord. And then her husband is talking to her and wanting to know about this. So they come and they get the, the missionary I was with, Mark Rose, and they come to him and he wants to know about this Jesus. But the story was amazing because Jalil had, 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 had visions, had dreams about, this, about Satan chasing his kids. And when he heard the gospel, he said, this man that came in his dreams and saved his children and stopped the, the devil. He saw this man in his dreams. He never knew who it was. And when he heard the gospel, he realized that was Jesus. He realized it was Jesus. And, and Jaleel gave his heart to the Lord. And he and Hitoy have, have been persecuted in that village. So when I think of them, my face lights up. When I hear word of what's going on there, my face lights up. And when I remember those who labored with me there, Man, it just fills my heart with joy. It's a deep joy. It's more than friendship. It's a deep joy. The second part of this is what Paul's thankful for is Paul was joyously thankful for his fellowship with them. Look at verse 5. He says, so these are the things he's praised about, and this is what he's praying for, and this is what he's thankful for. He says, for your fellowship in the gospel. Your fellowship in the gospel. From the first day until now. Now remember, Paul's been there over a 10-year period three times he's been in the city. Maybe he spent four months, five months total there with those people. And yet over that 10-year period, he talks about from that, that time till now, 
the fellowship in the gospel. Verse 7, he says, Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because, listen, I have you in my heart. These aren't some shallow acquaintances. These are deep, deep relationships. Inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Now, some believe that that's whether he's in his chains or whether he's released to go and, and defend the gospel again and preach the gospel, or if he's still in chains and he's standing before Nero to present and, and defend the gospel. Regardless, he's standing there. He says, you're, you're in my heart. And he, he goes on, he says this, and in, in, in the last part of verse 7, he says, you are partakers with me of grace. Now, I'm going to explain those words here in a minute. There's the, the fellowship of the gospel and then partakers of the gospel. And then verse 8, he says this, For God is my witness, for God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to say this right now. There are people in the church, every church I've ever been in, there's people who don't like somebody else in the church. Then there's people that you... You might like, or, or maybe, maybe I should start with you tolerate. And then there's people that you like, and then there's people you like more, and there's people you like a lot, and then there's the few you have a really good relationship with. What Paul is talking about here, when he's talking about this love he has, this longing with all the affection of Jesus Christ, this ought to be the relationships we all have. This ought to be what we have with one another. This ought to be, be what we have. He loved these people. He was grateful for these people. This is deeper than friendship. He expresses joy for them like the Crockett family has expressed for us when they write letters of thanks. The missionaries that are on the field in Papua, Papua Indonesia, and they write letters back and they say, we're blown away by your love and generosity for us and expressed to us. Man, that's what they, they feel. When they come, if you've, you've been around them, you've experienced that. They have a deeper they have a deeper. Feeling, I believe, with us as a church than some other missionaries might have. Because we have fellowshiped with them in the gospel. And when they come, we light up and we want to hear what's going on. And we catch up and we feel like we've known them forever. Fellowship in the gospel. Paul, he thanked God for their fellowship in the gospel. And that word fellowship is a word a lot of you are familiar with. It's the word koinonia. And, and, but, but I'm going to read in a moment how that has been. The, the idea of that is, is kind of been, the word I read was debased. It's, it's been degraded in America, American Christianity, of what that really means, that koinonia. But the, coin, the word koinonia means this. It means partnership. Literally, participation or social intercourse. Or pecuni, pecuniary, which is financial. It's, it's financial. There's money involved. Benefaction. That's a donation or a gift. It means there is the giving, maybe, of, of finances. There is communication, communion, contribution, or distribution. That's this word fellowship. But he also says they were partakers with him. And that word is, 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 a, is another... The root word from that is koinonia. It's a different word, but it's a, it's a root word of koinonia, and it means a co-participant, a companion. We're in this together, is what Paul's saying. I thank you for your fellowship, your investing in, your giving in, your sacrificing in, in the gospel. 
But I thank you that you're partakers with me of grace. You are a companion in this. You are a co-participant in this. Now, think about the ways he gave. They, they worried about Paul, and they even sent Epaphroditus. I looked. It's about an 800-mile trip from, from, from Philippi to Rome. It's an 800-mile trip. wouldn't be an easy trip. Some by boat, some on land. 800-mile trip that, that Epaphroditus makes, and he brings this gift, and he brings himself to help Paul in whatever ways physically he could, but he brings the resources to be a help to Paul as all. Man, that's pretty... Epaphroditus is the guy that their church is going, hey, man, Paul's in need. We need to help him out. Let's take up a love right Now, who's going to send it? Epaphroditus is like, I'll go. I'll go. Well, you've got a business. I don't care. I'll go. I'll do it. I'll do it. And you may have been in a situation like that. I have. And you, and you love those opportunities. Go, man, others can't or won't. I want to do that. That's what I want to do. Epaphroditus goes, and, and so they bring this. And we see in Philippians 2.25, he says, Yet I consider it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. Now Paul's sending him back. My brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my needs, you sent him to me. You send him, and he ministered to my need. He's your messenger, and I'm sending him back. Then in chapter 4, verse 10, Paul says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at last your care for me has flourished again. So they've, they've, they've ministered to him before. He says, Again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Verse 15, Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared. That's the same word as fellowship. It's the same word. It means communicated. It may be translated in your translation. It may be translated as communicated. It may be entered into partnership. It may be fellowshiped. But no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even, the Thessalon- for even in Thessalonica you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. They cared about Paul. They prayed for Paul. They communicated with Paul. They served the Lord with Paul. They shared uh, what they had with Paul. They sacrificed for him. They suffered with him, and they sent help to him. Man, that's deeper than a friendship. That's deeper than just a friendship in the Lord. That's deeper than what we think of when we think of fellowship. Hey, let's go grab some coffee and fellowship. I think Paul would, might be a little offended with our flippant attitude about fellowship. We really have a poor understanding of, the, of, of, of real gospel fellowship. I want to read to you what D.A. Carson says. He gives us a really good understanding of this word and this idea of fellowship. He says, the point becomes explicit in the second cause of his thanksgiving. In, in all my prayers for you, for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Their partnership in the gospel injects joy into Paul's prayers for, of thanksgiving. I, pray, I always pray with joy, he writes. The word rendered partnership is more commonly translated fellowship in the New Testament. What precisely does the word mean? In common use, fellowship has become somewhat debased. If you invite a pagan neighbor to your house for a cup of tea, it is friendship. If you invite a Christian neighbor, it is fellowship. If you attend a meeting at church and leave as soon as it is over, you have participated in the service. If you stay for coffee afterwards, you have enjoyed some fellowship. 
In modern use then, fellowship has become to mean something like warm friendship with believers. In the first century, however, the word commonly had commercial overtones. If John and Harry buy a boat and start a a fishing business, they have entered into a fellowship, a partnership. Intriguingly, even in the New Testament, the word is often tied to financial matters. Thus, when the Macedonian Christians send money to help the poor Christians in Jerusalem, they are entering into fellowship with them. The heart, listen, this gets in the heart of it. The heart of true fellowship is self-sacrificing conformity to a shared vision. It's more than we just show up at church and, and, and be blessed. The heart of true fellowship is self-sacrificing conformity to a shared vision. Both John and Harry put their savings into the fishing boat. Now they share the vision that will put the fledgling company on its feet. Christian fellowship then is self-sacrificing conformity to the gospel. There may be overtones of warmth and intimacy, but the heart of the matter is this shared vision of what is of transcendent importance a vision that calls forth our commitment. So when Paul gives thanks with joy because of the Philippians' partnership in the gospel and fellowship in the gospel, he is thanking God that these brothers and sisters in Christ, from the moment of their conversion, from the first day until now, Paul writes, rolling up their sleeves and get involved in the advance of the gospel. They continued their witness in Philippi. They persevered in their prayers for Paul. They sent money to support him in his ministry, all testifying to their shared vision of the importance and priority of the gospel that is more than enough reason for thanking God. They were thanking God for, for, for they were partnering with Paul in this. Amen? Now, We certainly have good Christian friendship in the church, but what will bring us the greatest joy, real joy, is gospel fellowship, the fellowship of the gospel. Now, a couple of illustrations of this. When I went to Tajikistan, the second trip I did, I spent about five days with the guy, and when we first met, he didn't like me much, and I didn't like him. He was was a little bit bit brash. He was a little bit... uh, Legalistic might be the word. He, he made some comments that were very uh, judgmental on guys that were there and paid their money to come on this mission trip and serve together and, and help people. And he was just kind of running his mouth down at them. And I made a comment that he didn't like too much. And he was a, he was a Marine guy. He was a Marine. He said, you're very glad we're in this situation or you'd be looking up at me from the floor. And I'm like, point, point made, not point taken, but point made by how spiritual you are. Here you are threatening a fight about and you're and you're talking and you know what's amazing we spent about a week together by the end of that he and I had gotten really close we'd gotten really close and and he had he had changed so much in the way he was thinking and looking at situation Max I could go into the whole story he made a lot of changes in from where he was serving and where he was serving the Lord and where he was going to church and stuff he made some major changes that really helped him but here's what's amazing we spent a few days together in Tajikistan I didn't tell him when I was being ordained. I don't know, I, to this day, I don't know how he found out. But he found out I was being ordained. And he drove three and a half hours from Charlotte, North Carolina to be at my ordination. And he got in his car and he drove back home afterwards. You don't do that for a, a flippant acquaintance. You don't do that for a, a, little, a, a, a little weak friendship. 
That's fellowship in the gospel. There's a couple of guys in this church, and I'm going to name names. There's a couple of guys that I feel like, I, I, and I could name more, but these two in particular, I feel like I have a fellowship in the gospel with these two. And, you, and you'll agree when I say it. But Randy Dixon and Fred Williams, I don't have flippant relationship with them. I have a fellowship in the gospel. Because when you talk to Randy Dixon or you talk to Fred Williams, you're going to talk about Jesus. And you're going to talk about his word. You're going to talk about his will. You're going to talk about his work. And you're talking about our service together in that journey. There's not a lot of chit-chat. There ain't a lot of fluff in those relationships. And, it, and it's deep. It's about the gospel. And, there's, there's, it, it, and what it does is it bonds us together. And there's joy in that. Randy, you, don't, you and Fred don't know how much joy that brings to me as a pastor, as a, as a person, that fellowship in the gospel. Church, we have a common goal. It's to love God, love people, and serve the world. We, we can pray for one another. We can hurt with one another. We can serve one another. We can give to one another. We can serve alongside one another in the gospel. And, and we must have a self-sacrificing commitment to the gospel together. And if we have that, we can have an incredible fellowship in the gospel. And we have joy unspeakable right here. Now, I'm going to ask you to be patient with me this morning because we're going to do something right now different than, than I've ever done. And I, I, I believe this is of the Lord. I believe the Lord's laid this on my heart Friday morning. I prayed about this. I've thought through this. But I want you to be patient with me. I want you to... To, uh, I want you to go along with me and, and see what God does in this. Okay, first thing, I need some deacon help. I need some deacons up here. I need, I need, I need four deacons. You can have more, however you want to do it. We're going to receive right now a benevolence offering. I sent the email out yesterday. Perhaps you saw that. Uh, if you didn't see it, we're going to receive a cash benevolence offering. If you've come prepared, Chris, if you've come prepared, I, I, we're going to pass the plate. And, and guys, when you're done, I want you to come back. I want you to just bring the plates back. Come sit up front or something, okay? We're not going to take it back and total it. I want to sit back. I want you to come back up here. Just go through real quick, as quickly as possible. If you got some money to throw in there, put in the plate. This is a cash benevolence offering, and you'll find out what we're going to do here in a moment with this. Now, here's the, here's the next thing, and I, I, I'd like them to get a little further along, but it's going to be a little bit of distraction so as best you can, give me your attention here. They prayed. They prayed for Paul. They were burdened by the things in Paul's life. You ever carry a burden? Anybody ever carry a burden? How do you think they knew what to pray for for Paul? Sure, but do you, you think they knew if his foot was infected? How, how would they know? Yes, that's where I'm getting at. He would have told them, right? Here's what we do a lot of times in church. We carry a burden and nobody else knows what we're going through. Nobody, no, you, you, I've got this heavy burden and I, you know, it may show on your face, hey, what's going on? You all right? Oh, yeah, man, I'm good. Life's good. It's good. You know, we put on a smile. We put on this. 
if we're going to break through the fluff, we got to get real with each other. And so what I want us to do this morning, and this, here's, where, here's where putting aside my pride. I, I had a guy tell me one time, y'all have heard my testimony. And as I shared my testimony with him, I was just talking about some of the things. He looked at me and he said, I never would have guessed that. I said, what do you mean? Because I, I think everybody looks at me and just sees a walking dumpster fire. Is this what it is? He said, you are the guy that I see that you got it all together. Everything's, man, everything's in line. I said, and you know what I realized? Is I'd gotten really good at wearing a mask. I ain't being real. Folks, as a church, we want to be able to lift up each other and pray when there's a burden. Here's what I want us to do. If you've got a burden this morning that you need somebody to pray with you about, I want you to come down here. Don't worry about who's looking. Don't worry about what they're thinking. If you've got a burden, you may think, well, that's not really a big deal. I, you know, it's not that bad. If you are carrying a burden this morning and you feel like you could use prayer for that, I want you to come down. I just want you to come stand down here. You don't have to walk far? Come on, Thomas. 